happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 249, 249, Dr. Fryer, for February 16th, 2022. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Executive Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in snowy on, snowy off, Missoula, Montana. And joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am well, and we had 72 degrees today, and we got the winter storm coming in tonight. Actually, we're supposed to have severe thunderstorms between 1 and 4 a.m., and then probably the Arctic blast is not going to dip so low that we're going to get ice and snow, but you never know. So it's kind of weird. We're kind of getting like March weather now. So, yeah, that's kind of us too, actually. And, uh, it's supposed to be maybe, well, at one point it looked like it would be close to 60 this coming weekend, but then it dumped snow this morning and they revised the, uh, forecast down to 40 something. So Montana yeah. weather, don't like it. Wait till winter, it. winter storm midweek this week. And then they said another one, another one's coming. So wow. anyway, yeah, exciting. Well, uh, but snow is good for Montana because you yes. don't want fires in the summertime, as I yeah. recall. I seem to yeah. recall something about that. Snowpack means uh, less fire danger for the summer, so we'll take uh, we'll take snow all winter long. That's in right. Exchange for a beautiful Montana summer. Well, in addition to our banter of weather, what is it that we're going to do tonight? And we've done for 248 other Wednesday nights. Yeah, I can't believe that we're already to episode 249, but uh, we're going to take a look at some headlines from across the techosphere and see if what's going on in tech media has impacts on uh, K through higher education classrooms. And if you want to see the articles we're talking about, and please do go to our website, edtechsr.com slash links, where we'll take you to uh, a Google doc that has all the stuff we talk about and a lot of stuff that we don't. Uh, so if you're kind of want to know what's been kind of swimming around our brains for the last seven days, it's a good place to go. Tonight, we have links on our so-called tech direction coverage. We'll probably wait because that sometimes becomes a bit of a rabbit hole for listeners of the podcast. Uh, some Microsoft news, Google news, Apple news, Meta and Facebook news, some security information to share with you, our miscellaneous category. And we'll end tonight with our Geeks of the Week. Uh, Dr. Fryer, uh, anywhere you'd like to start tonight, sir? Well... Some of these could go in different categories. I put this in miscellaneous. Uh, let's go to Grid News on February 8th. This is kind of wild. Uh, and it could, I guess this could be a security article too. The, the hacked account and suspicious donations behind the Canadian trucker protests. So as most of us probably have been following along with events in Ukraine and <clears throat> other things happening globally, um, there's been, you know, a big deal going on in the U.S. border with Canada and truckers. So what this account and these journalists reveal is that, perhaps not surprisingly, social media has been playing a big role in organizing these protests. And a woman in Missouri's Facebook account uh, who was hacked and her daughter even had written in the feed, you know, something about nice how you've hacked my mom's account and won't respond to my DMs. That particular account has been the primary administrator of the largest accounts that have in, on Facebook that have been organizing for this quote unquote trucker protest. And one of the things that's really eyebrow raising that they talk about in this article too, is just how much crowdfunded money these groups have been able to obtain, but it's not mostly Canadian. It's mostly from 
uh, actually uh, right-wing ultra-conservative groups in the United States and elsewhere. Um, and um, I think I actually just shared a tweet. Maybe I'll, I'll put that into the chat here. Um, and shout out to my friend Brian Kernbaugh up in Chicagoland, who uh, shares a lot of these kind of like war um, type messages. Julia Davis of Julia Davis News reports, uh, guess who is churning out the most coverage of the Canadian trucker protests? If you guessed Russia and, the, and Russia t uh, today, which is their official media outlet, you guessed correct. And this graph, and I'll drop this into the chat, is really stark in terms of the amount of um, posts that they've been doing about all this. So the bottom line is we have information warfare taking place. We need to be aware of this and um, journalists need to be aware of this as well. And it's not just this information war that's actually happening now around the Ukraine, uh, how the U.S. is countering it. I don't know if we'll talk about that, but this particular thing was fascinating. And it also touches on a personal security issue, which we talk about all the time. We need to be protecting our own accounts. We need to be protecting and helping our family members and friends protect their accounts. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's a way to prevent this because there's all kinds of Facebook accounts that are for sale and that have been compromised, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, we don't want our accounts to be, be compromised. And I might have mentioned on the show that a couple weeks ago, one of our former teachers who has actually moved out of state called me uh, in a bit of a panic um, because her laptop got stolen and they got her Google account. They got her Apple account. And uh, I gave her you know, some ideas and, and kind of checking in with her. She got everything back, uh, re-recovered, but really, really scary and really, really, you know, potentially disruptive to life. So a couple layers here, the international, you know, info war level of, of uh, what's going on, but then just the personal level of we got to take care of our accounts and try to do everything we can proactively uh, to be secure and try to avoid hacks. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Any thoughts? You know, super interesting. And one of the things to remember is that, and this is not aimed at one side of the political spectrum or the other, because I do think that there tends to be a partisan lean on, on Russian hacks, but it's not universal. Um, and it, just because there is a perception of support for something in the media doesn't mean there's something that, that that's legitimate, right? So in the case of, you know, donations to Canadian trucker protesters, uh, there was a, a lot of early media about how quickly they were raising money. But, you know, think about that in, in context of if some most, almost all that money, and again, hard to tell how much, but let's say it's even some, uh, uh, if some of that comes is coming from people that are looking to to sow political discord, um, then it, that colors and 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 changes the perception of of the headline there. And I don't want to say trust nothing because that's not really what 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 I'm arguing for. But facts are pretty fluid uh, uh, in, in a lot of these very heightened political situations, and so. You know, reader beware for sure. And I think if, if anything, that just gives me uh, 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 more credence to tell people that we need to be integrating more media literacy into every class we teach. Amen. Preach. All right. Where to next? Well, let's talk about some kind of techie techie news. Uh, there's a big headline this week uh, uh, in Google land that I want to talk about. And in fact, I've got some information I can share related to this. Uh, Chrome Unboxed, uh, although this is reported across the, the Google OS sphere, um, Chrome has released something called Chrome OS Flex. And so this goes back to something we've talked about probably a half dozen times in the podcast. Uh, there was a piece of software 
uh, released in 2015-ish called uh, Cloud Ready. And Cloud Ready is a way to install um, a Chrome OS-like operating system experience on an older or a newer too, a Mac or PC. And uh, uh, about a year or so ago, uh, Google bought Neverware, which is a company that made Cloud Ready. And yesterday they released an early beta of what Neverware will turn, or I'm sorry, what Cloud Ready will turn into. And it's called Chrome OS Flex. And Chrome OS Flex is an installable version of the Chrome operating system that's legitimately from Google um and uh receives updates just like Chrome OS does and it's installable um by third parties. So that we've talked about Cloud Ready a couple times here in the past. Let's say you're running around with a bunch of uh pretty ancient Dell desktop machines. The one I'm thinking about is the uh the Dell 9020, which uh, is very common platform in uh, large implementations of, of of desktop computers. It's about a six or seven year old uh PC, and I would understand it came out when Windows 7 was the primary operating system. It's probably feeling a little long in the tooth and not super fast. But if you you can wipe that with Cloud uh, OS Flex, I'm sorry, Chrome OS Flex and install actual Chrome OS on it, which gets updates from Microsoft um, and has that kind of minimalized experience, which means it's going to run a lot faster than traditional operating systems like Windows. So I'm totally excited about this. Uh, it, it, I was a little worried that maybe Cloud Ready would go away. Um, Cloud Ready is something I use both at work and at home uh, to refurbish older machines. Uh, if you are a Chrome OS person as I am, it's a wonderful way to take a seven or eight year old laptop and make it feel pretty fresh and new again um, by just installing that operating system. So I will say I did download the early beta last night. Um, I have not been able to get it to install yet. Uh, and I've now made the installer three times on two different uh, USB uh, uh, sticks. Uh, I have read some forums. It seems like my experience is unique here, so I may try creating um, this on a different uh, uh, platform. I've been doing it on a Windows PC is where I've been making this. But I plan to download this early beta and install it. It is everything the Chrome OS is. The only thing it doesn't have right now is Android apps. But as we've talked about in the past, um, I think the power of Chrome OS has nothing to do with the apps you install. It has to do with being a masterful uh, user of the web. So big news in Chrome OS world. Man, I'm excited. I just signed up for that myself. I wonder if I'll be accepted. I guess I could try. Cloud Ready will run on a Mac as well. You don't have to do it on a PC. Uh, yeah, that it. They have a list of cleared machines, and it's mostly older Macs on that list. But it right. will absolutely run. I've I've been able. In fact, I I have not been able to find a machine yet uh, uh, that doesn't run Cloud Ready. So yeah, I mean, this is an older iMac that I'm on. I think it's like maybe a 2011. No, late 2012 you know, wonderful screen, 27 inch, you know, yeah. and it's an i5, uh, but, uh, and it's okay. You know, I mean, this is what I've been using throughout remote learning and I use it for our show every night, but I mean, hmm, I'm interested in giving it a try. And they're saying, you know, not production ready. So cloud ready is, or yeah, cloud, cloud ready, right. That's yes. the, is, re is production ready, you know, yes. go for it. So do you have a sense of why, of what will be better about this than cloud ready? Well, there's a couple of things. The first one is that it sounds like if you have one of the pay for licenses, um, for, um, uh, for Google workspace, then you won't have to pay any licensing to, uh, to utilize this in an enterprise like a school. 
And so I think it's going to be part of the larger package. It'd be super sweet if, if they allowed for this. Um, you would still have to buy a Chrome management license, which for those that are in Chrome world know that, that there's a cost associated there. But right now, uh, never wears cloud ready again, owned by Google now does charge X number of dollars per device per year to run the cloud ready OS. Um, in that enterprise. But right now you can download a family or a home version of it. There's no support that comes with it, but it's the full operating system. And in Cloud Ready, they are um, uh, using the Chromium browser is what they have integrated into that because they're not basing it off Chrome OS, they're basing it off of Chromium, the open source right. version of the operating system. Whereas this is going to be the actual Chrome. This is full on Chrome. Yeah. yeah. So your and compatibility some of the, might be better. Exactly. Uh, and some of the cool stuff in Chrome, like nearby share and, uh, the phone integration with Android phones, which doesn't work on, on, um, uh, cloud ready does work on, apparently on, on Chrome OS Flex. So I think it's a really cool idea. To be honest, if I were running, uh, if I were an IT person in enterprise right now and we were a Google district, if I had a lab full of aging PCs, um, you know, the, the two upgrades I would make to them, uh, hardware wise is an SSD. It doesn't need to be very big and then get to at least eight gigabytes of RAM. And then I would install Chrome OS Flex. Like it's going to be a great experience. Um, that would be probably faster and snappier than the typical low-end Chromebook. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we, uh, we're beyond that now at school, but I'm, I'm actually running an SSD on this, you know, 2012 iMac. And it, it's incredible what a difference that makes in terms of disk access and speed and, and snappiness. So very, very cool. And a super important thing to think about in terms of, you know, the longevity of, of your devices and, and home as well as, you know, we've got more complex networks and sets of devices and stuff like that at home too. So I, I'm also just a fan of dabbling with this kind of stuff. You know, I, I don't play with Linux anymore. Miguel Gulen had encouraged me, you know, years ago to to dabble in Linux and that it's kind of cool. I mean, there, there's a lot that, that you can do with that, but anyway, this, uh, I've no, I've heard you evangelize and extol cloud ready, you know, multiple times and have, have thought about it, but uh, yeah, somehow that this is native Chrome. Maybe this is the the product that Google is is using its knowledge and, and IP from Cloud Ready, and then just putting it into this Google product. So anyway, that is very exciting. Yep, absolutely. Okay, a couple other updates. Uh, Google Drive has uh, rolled out a new feature that I noticed myself a couple weeks back, and then saw this coverage because I'm I, I have uh, my work account on the, the so-called fast ring of Google, which means we get updates a little earlier. But there is a new search experience rolling out uh, in Google Docs, which I could not be more thrilled about. I have always felt that search in Google Docs has been pretty bad. I mean, I would go as far as just calling it bad. And it never seems as effective as Google search um, uh, uh, as a search engine. It seems weird to me that they don't, you know, put some of the same juice into the Google Docs search that they do into the uh, search of the Internet. But we've commented on this a lot at work. I love Google Docs and it's, it's, it's an important part of my workflow, but the search for it has been pretty bad. Well, they just introduced... Um, uh, new filters and they're calling, uh, the kind of interface where you can, um, uh, uh, change the results or adapt the results. They're calling them chips. So there's these little buttons right below the search bar. But, um, so far, I, it feels like it's night and day in comparison to previous search. And, um, I, I like it a lot. So, uh, Wes, have you had a chance to play with the new search yet? 
I have not, but just uh, in that article from uh, The Verge, the uh, little animated GIF that they have in the article, um, what it reminds, it's just awesome. What it reminds me of <clears throat> is some, you know, different Google, Google Teacher Academy, you know, Google uh, conferences that I've been to. And, you know, you might be thinking, oh, search, it's so basic. But there's always been really powerful things that you could do with just a few keys and stuff like that with, with search queries. There still are many things that you can do with that, you know, Google Omnibar. So it looks like it's just making visible, you know, some of the things that have been behind the filter. And they've improved that in terms of like, just show me presentations. Just, you know, just show me things in the last seven days. Just show me things from this person. Uh, but they're making that more visible and readily apparent, um, you know, just to probably increase the number of users that are doing power searches. So I think it's hugely essential. Uh, in fact, one of my Geeks of the Week touches on this with tagging and metadata. Um, I don't know if they're going to add some of that function. There's an extension I'll mention that can help with that. But it's just, it's so important for us to be teaching and practicing good good um, sort of protocols when it comes to how we name documents uh, whether we organize them. I mean, one of the basic workflow ideas with Google that I've mostly shifted into is not just creating the document, but going first to the folder where I want that to live. And then I create it and then it's already there. And, and you know, that's just a, that's a change in workflow from how most of us have operated before with uh, other kinds of productivity software. So exciting to see this and also just, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking more about what a huge impact Google has had and continues to have in the education space and how difficult it will be for Microsoft or some other player to displace them in terms of how powerful the tools are and uh, just how invested we are in, in many, many schools. So that anyway, I'd like, I'd be interested to know what the percentage of schools are right now, let's say in the United States, public K-12 that are, that are in Google. I bet it's over 50%. And I wonder if it's how high that, how high that yeah. number goes. My guess is you are absolutely right there. And I think, uh, um, there are some, uh, uh, interesting things, uh, happening in the marketplace there. And I'd be curious to see, I can't imagine it's a ton, which ones, um, uh, uh, one of the things that, that, uh, I wonder, um, is just what that, that, that back and forth place of the marketplace looks like. Cause I think there's, there are districts that change. I'd be also curious which districts are still not in the cloud. I know there, I know there have to be some, but I'd be curious to hear what that looks like as well. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, why don't we go to a security article? Uh, and this one <laughs> is from the Washington Post on February 11th. No, that email from Equifax is not a scam. You are entitled to free credit monitoring for four years. Um, and I have included a gift link in here. So even if you're not a Washington Post subscriber, you can take a look at this article by Michelle Singletary. Um, this article, uh, you know, highlights the fact that, hey, yes, a, a heck of a lot of us probably can get free credit monitoring from Equifax. But what it also points out is just how many years these things take, uh, because this goes back to a, a complaint from 2019, which I know that's like not that many years ago. But in the world of security and breaches and and technology, you know, it does seem like that uh, is taking a long time. So um, I have I have not personally used accredited credit monitoring service myself. We talked about, I think it was the T-Mobile hack actually uh, a while back and, you know, things that we were entitled to free. 
um, you know, again, proactive security steps. I just think, you know, take them now before you're hacked, before family members are hacked. Uh, and if something like this is free, it's probably not a, not a bad thing to check out. But like we talk about too with links and that sort of thing, you do want to be wary. And so, uh, the Washington Post as a, you know, credible and trusted resource has a link that you can, you can go there to, uh, take a look if, if you're, I think, eligible and, you know, try to and claim this or, or whatever. So we've talked about hacks on the show constantly, and I'm sure that become, we all become numb to that at some level. But hey, nothing, you know, drives this home than a relative, a close friend, a close colleague, you know, having a serious uh, problem with identity theft and with a hack to make you realize, hey, this isn't just stuff that, you know, Jason and Wes wax on about because they enjoy talking about it, which we probably do, but <clears throat> it's also stuff that's really important for us to to think about doing an action that we would yeah. take. So, And one resource I would share here is that um, I have utilized for many years Credit Karma, creditkarma.com, which is uh, um, uh, it's both a really good app and, a, and an online service, and it monitors two of, two of the, the major credit reports. So um, and I've trusted that over the years and, and occasionally we'll go and look at, um, you know, other reviews of it to make sure they, they remain a, a trusted service. But, you know, I, being, uh, your credit report is way more important, uh, than, than, um, most people believe that it is. And if your credit, credit report gets trashed, you may have a really hard time engaging, um, in many financial services. So good advice there. Absolutely. Want to continue on with the Googles or go somewhere else? Um, let's see, let's, uh, just a couple quick ones I can do, uh, uh, fast turnaround. First, um, 95 Google reported on February 15th that Google Docs is rolling out some new features on their so-called smart canvas, uh, which include AI generated summaries that, uh, when you're doing lookups of documents, uh, Google will start creating an automatically created summary, which you can change yourself. So if you're sharing documents inside of an organization, for example, and want to give, uh, or want to see what a summary of the document looks like with an AI, uh, uh, collected one or created one, excuse me. And then also, um, they're working on ways to create, uh, email templates that you can share and collaborate with, with people across your organization. So I feel like there's a lot of interesting new projects in, in Google world as it relates to docs and email. The other, uh, uh, article was a February 14th Chrome unboxed article that talks about how there's a new Gmail design design coming out. It's already rolling out. Uh, to early beta participants in workspace, but eventually be across all Gmail. But, you know, I, I appreciate that Google is making changes and continuing to evolve these platforms. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it reminds me, especially the email one of how we need to not just assume everyone has all this stuff figured out. You know, I, I haven't done this in a while, but we do have a Google certification group that works periodically. And, it'd probably be really good for all of us to just think, learn a little bit more about some updated features and hacks. There's so many different ways to customize your inbox, change how you're filtering things. Um, I saw, uh, I don't know, it was a video a while back that at school just, it just moves everything that's not from our domain into another box, which you have to remember to check. And I do that. But anyway, there's all kinds of things uh, that we can do to increase our personal productivity. Google's moving to, you know, introduce different features and things like that. But how do we bring that to the folks in our organizations? Well, maybe it's a lunch and learn. Maybe it's, you know, something 
I know after school is not great, but you know, how do we get that out? Maybe it's a short video. You know, there's all kinds of different ways that we can get those kinds of things out there. Um, but I definitely think we shouldn't assume that everybody has email productivity mastered. You know, if I was living in the perfect world, we would have a time when our fifth graders are just coming on board, getting their email addresses, you know, to help them with some filters and some management of some of the things like notifications and stuff like that from Google Classroom. Because it's incredible in just a few short months how many unread emails a fifth grader can get because, you know, they're getting they're they're signed up for Duolingo and they're getting Google Classroom notifications and, you know, maybe other things, too. And the other thing to remember is that, you know, very few people have actually taken a good quality email training. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that uh, for everyone. But, you know, if you're assuming that your students understand email and you're not quite up on yourself, I think that that's a sign that we need to pay more attention to it. I think email is an undervalued technology and we tend to abuse it rather easily. One of the ways we could stop that is by just nudging people in the right direction on how to use it well and how to use it efficiently. I'm going to drop a link in here to the first of two videos that I did a couple years ago is October 2019 Gmail basics part one and part two. Uh, it has almost 21,000 views. That's a lot of views for my videos. And, um, you know, that was a few years ago, but breaking, breaking things down like that and just trying to cover basics. Um, it's important. So. Great. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Actually, I want to hear about this. Uh, can you cover the other security article about the CIA secret program that collects American data? Sure. This was a Washington Post also on February 11th. If you can't tell, I've, I'm a subscriber now to the Washington Post and the New York Times. Actually, school does um, the New York Times. Um, so we had uh, several senators, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon and Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, um, asked top intelligence officials for a program to be declassified. Um, It was sent in April of 2021. And last Thursday, it was declassified with, of course, uh, things blacked out. Um, But the senators believe, quote, the program operated outside the statutory framework Congress and the public believe govern this collection. And so uh, this reminds of you know, Edward Snowden and different disclosures that we've had from him and from other whistleblowers. And uh, the article says in 2013, Wyden asked then Director of National Intelligence James Clapper if the NSA collected, quote, any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans, end quote. Clapper initially responded, no. And he later said, not wittingly. And he later apologized in a letter to the Senate Intelligence Committee calling his response to Wyden, quote, clearly erroneous. So, um, you know, we've got a long history of government uh, surveillance of different individuals and groups. The article references the civil rights movement, the secret recording of conversations by the CIA of Dr. Martin Luther King in Operation Chaos. Um, and so, you know, it says this raises serious questions about the kinds of information the CIA is vacuuming up in bulk. Uh, the CIA conducts these sweeping surveillance activities without court approval and with few, if any, safeguards imposed by Congress. So um, <laughs> I don't know. This could be something that falls into the category of, you know, kind of like hacks. Yeah, we know there's all this, you know, surveillance that's going on. But um, I think it's important for us to to be aware of this. I think that sur- the, the issue of surveillance overall is a really really important uh, media literacy topic, but it's also an important citizenship topic. 
Uh, we've mentioned before on the show how, you know, China is, is we think of as basically the the far outlier, uh, especially in, in the Western region of China, where, you know, you have to have a QR code on your door and an app installed on your phone. And the, and the government literally watches everything that you you do on your phone. And, and the level of intrusive surveillance is just crazy. But, you know, the truth is we're all walking around with these devices that share an incredible amount of information about our personal life and our personal activities. And one of the things, I don't know if I mentioned this, but on the, was the, I think it's the Pegasus spyware by the NSO group. And we might've had a link in the last couple of weeks about that. You, and I, yeah, cause I think we talked about it. You don't even have to click on something for this to take effect. And so, you know, we've got the whole thing of, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, why should I care about it? But um, we should be concerned about it. And I'm, I'm happy for those senators to, you know, be uh, doing their due diligence, I think, in um, trying to, to serve as some accountability for our intelligence community. And I think that the issue of surveillance is not just big tech. We have a class that's a, a junior senior combination, you know, history and English class and big tech was their first theme, which I thought was great. But, you know, the issue of surveillance is certainly relevant to those those conversations about big tech and deregulate and tech correction and all that. But I think it it really is an important issue to talk about privacy and surveillance and the role of government. And I think there's some really important civics issues that that we should probably be grappling with. And I'm not sure to what degree that's part of the formal required curriculum today, but it it should be. Yep. Couldn't agree more. All right. How about uh, some of that Apple stuff? Are you using AirTags, by the way? I yeah, I am. Articles. I, I love them. Totally love them. What and do you use them for? What's the best part of having AirTags in terms of how they change your life? There is a there's there's two things I use AirTags for. The first one is more theoretical because I'm not really traveling. So I would, if I were traveling right now in you know fancy airplanes, I would throw an air tag in a hot second in checked baggage because I know that has become um, a real use of them. That it becomes a, tra- a tracking device, uh, you know, for twenty five bucks that is pretty hard to beat. Um, and with you know airport being iPhone rich environments, there's a massive tracking network that that will be able to to, to track the movement of your bag. So um, I do have on my my daily carry bags, both my laptop bag and my uh, um, whatnot bag, um, I have an AirTag in. And, you know, again, I don't really need them, but... Um, They're there when you're ready to travel. Exactly. So it's yeah. like having so, your passport up to date. You're ready to go because you got yes. the AirTags ready. Yes, that's, that's exactly the case. In fact, my passport just expired, so I uh, it's a good reminder that I need to get that refreshed for when I'm finally able to fly the coop. But... Um, Secondarily, I have air tags on about uh, three or four home items that are easily lost. And so one of them is my keys. One of them is my um, Apple remote uh, that it's and one of the things I don't like about the Apple remote. And this is true of all the modern streaming device remotes is they're so tiny and they slip into those couch, couch cushions so easily. So I purchased a rubberized case for my um, Apple TV uh, uh, remote it's got an air tag holder in it and it's super cool because um, if you've got a, a relatively recent iPhone, then it's not just, it will tell you kind of where it's located at or even play a sound. It will guide you to where, uh, to, to where you want to go. So in the case of, I'm just looking right now on my phone. Um, uh, 
my well, my keys. It says they're with me, but that's not true because they're 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 elsewhere in my house. But all you need to do is click on find nearby, and it starts looking around for the signal. And it may not be close enough for it to actually take onto there, but you start walking around your house. And it's going to find it, and then it's going to lock its beam on it, and then it will point to you literally where to find this item, which, oh, it says it's connected, so it found the signal, and so, oh, no, it lost it again, but, you know, eventually you walk closer to it, and you can, like, it will literally point out and say how far it is away from you, it's three feet that way, and for keys, and for that silly little Apple remote, that's worth it, and if you use them for a while, it starts to notice your patterns, so... At work, if uh, uh, I leave my keys behind in my office, and after about 10 minutes of me being away from my office, it says, do you realize your keys aren't with you? Um, and because it's got to know my pattern and that my keys would generally be with me. So from that part of it, I think they're wonderful. That is pretty cool. So that may be something else I need to, to rethink. I noticed this, I think this weekend or something, I had left my phone in the car when I went into a store and my watch knew that. Yeah. And so it said, Hey, your phone's no longer with you. So, and I was like, that's the first time I've seen that. I was like, that is pretty cool. I mean, I knew I did that, but anyway, it's, uh, our devices are noticing our behavior. And in this case, they are, they're being helpful. There's plenty of articles out there about, you know, people being tracked and yeah, how you don't want somebody to just throw this in your trunk, I guess. And, you know, yeah. Track your car or something, do, do creepy things, but Hey, like any other powerful technology, there's going to be ways to abuse and misuse as well as do it, you know, use it in, in great ways. Exactly. And that's where, that's the crux of our two articles for tonight. So um, I'm not going to uh, uh, give too many surprises away because I think the article is actually, is actually worth the read, but there was a wonderful article on February 11th in the New York times um, where a writer um, basically used a combination of Apple AirTags um, uh, tiles, which is tile was kind of the, the location uh, uh, app before uh, AirTags uh, kind of took over. Um, and I would imagine that they're fighting pretty aggressively for, for, for market share. And then a GPS tracker, which you can buy a, a variety of GPS trackers that do a variety of interesting and kind of creepy things um, on Amazon. And it basically, between the three of them, she was able to, uh, 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 as she puts it, uh, kind of follow her husband around um, with consumer tech surveillance state tools. And so that's that's a pretty extraordinary claim. And the reason why I mentioned that is we've talked about AirTags and some of the safety concerns with AirTags. But I think that article is worth it because it's not just AirTags. Um, and even if we eliminated AirTags and even if we eliminated uh, tiles, which uh, neither product seems to be all that uh, 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 heavily criticized to a point where they're going to stop selling them, you can buy things on, on, on eBay. And I would imagine that uh, eBay and Amazon – um, even they regulate them, you know, the tech exists, right? So there, there would be a, at least a gray market for them. Um, but I did want to mention that uh, Apple, this was the day before that New York Times article had released a new uh, uh, article kind of talking about what they're trying to do with AirTags and what, uh, what, what enhancements they're trying to uh, bring to that. They've talked a little bit about 
um, working with law enforcement. So if someone is inappropriately or illegally tracking someone um, with an air tag uh, to stalk them or create a domestic violence situation or whatever that looks like, uh, they're now cooperating with law enforcement and they're trying to um, uh, uh, figure out ways that they can get um, more data for people that are being tracked by an air tag uh, uh, without their knowledge. And there's already some, some, some protections built in, but they aren't, aren't, a hundred percent perfect. Um, and if you don't have an Android phone and you refuse to install Apple's app for letting you know when you're being tracked by an air tag that, and, and it seems bizarre to have to download their app to get their stuff to stop tracking you. But, um, that's an important thing. As well. hmm. No, that's good to know. Maybe we can drop that link in, uh, the show notes as well, or I'll, I'll look it up. So it, it, you have to download the app because I've heard about that. You can find out in some of those off. I mean, some of the articles I've read like this about, Oh, creepy tracking, uh, talk about that, like having an alert on their phone. Like I was talking about with my watch saying your phone isn't with you, that they got an alert <clears throat> that there's an air tag that's not attached to their Apple ID. So but you have to download a separate app to do that. Then That's exactly it. And I've tested the app and I'm throwing the, one of the articles in now, this is a CNET article uh, from December. Um, I did immediately. In fact, I think we may, we may even talked about this on the show, but I immediately downloaded that app on an Android device and I couldn't get to pick up my AirTag. You and have to then, have it on Android, though. It's not on iPhone. Uh, well, no, it's on iPhone automatically. But oh, it is. It is the oh, Android oh, okay. app. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. The Android app is 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 the is kind of the the what most people have concerned about because you know why would you you know why would you let Apple have access to your phone in that way. But since they seem to have a, a device of, of, of concern, um, you know, so it, it's, it's an interesting debate and, you know, remember that convenience and, and uh, features, you know, always have to go through the both kind of privacy matrix, but also the creepy factor too, because in some cases, um, you know, these technologies are a little on the invasive and creepy side. Absolutely. Well, let's do uh, these two that I I moved one of yours actually into this meta Facebook, but it could have stayed under tech correction. And then we can go up to tech correction. Maybe uh, this is a Yahoo Finance article from February 15th. Facebook renames its news feed to just the feed. Now, I don't think this is as big a deal as Apple, you know, no longer Apple computer, just Apple. <clears throat> they did that in 2007 at the end of the, the Steve Jobs keynote when they announced the iPhone. Um I don't know. The article here is saying, well, maybe, you know, you won't be able to criticize them as much, uh, you know, for sharing bad news or, 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 you know, disinformation or something like that if they're just calling it a feed. But anyway, that's interesting because it is obviously a lot of updates about, you know, family and friends and and things like that. Um, and then you dropped in that New York Times article about Peter field do you want to talk about that yeah one? i and this is from a couple of weeks back but uh an early tech investor in facebook peter feels has left the meta board um and is going to more directly uh support trump aligned candidates and the reason why i mention this is because i feel like this has been pretty thoroughly um uh, uh pretty thoroughly uh, uh uh disavowed in kind of the more mainstream tech media but there was a perception for a long time that that Facebook was uh, 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 kind of editing out conservative views, and there's just no evidence of that. And and to be clear, uh, accusations of editing out liberal views is not that uh, persuasive either. That there just seems to be uh, some uh, a lot of factors at hand here. But I I just 
find it interesting that that uh, Mr. Theo, uh, who is leaving to go uh, work on a certain political persuasions uh, candidates elections, remember was a prominent member of the Facebook board. And again, I you know uh, uh, correlations not causation, so you know I don't want to be too uh, cagey there, but um, it, it's a more complex story, I think, than than simple accusations of bias. And the thing about this is, it, you know, complexity is sort of lost in the in, in the attention economy where things can be repeated hundreds or thousands of times. And then, oh, wow, look at how, you know, 30 percent, 40 percent of the population believe this thing. So we pro- in addition to studying surveillance, we all probably need to study propaganda more. We need to do our, our research on World War II and how, you know, Nazi Germany used propaganda. Of course, the United States has and continues to propaganda as well. All countries have have used propaganda and, and you know, message and and try to spend things different directions. But anyway, let's go to the tech correction. And I want to share this article. This is a fantastic article. In fact, I will go so far as to say I think this is probably the best single article I've read about the tech correction in terms of Facebook specifically. This is from the Atlantic on February 10th, and it's called Facebook has a super user supremacy problem. And this is some academic research that has not yet been published in a peer reviewed journal. Um, The authors are Matthew Hindman, Nathaniel Lubin and Trevor Davis. I would actually encourage everybody to follow them on Twitter, if you're at all interested in media literacy, disinformation, uh, Facebook, the tech correction, any of this kind of stuff. Uh, What this article reveals is that Facebook really, through its algorithm, gives an incredible amount of oxygen, of amplification, of promotion to some extreme channels and and some, some extreme users that um, is really, you know, outsized and <clears throat> basically, you know, they're, they're doing this for their own engagement purposes. So the more we're, we've talked about this before, we, we say it all the time, the social dilemma did all the time, you know, Facebook's goal is to have us, you know, glued to our screen and, and engage for more minutes of every single day. The more minutes we spend on the platform, the more money that they make. But this article really lays it out in terms of, of research and these accounts and, you know, the, the outlier accounts and the incredible amplification that they've had. And, you know, we're uh, just finishing up the trimester. <laughs> I actually thought we were done. And I, anyway, I was a week off. So we've got one more week of, of classes with this trimester. And so we've been wrapping up this whole media literacy unit that we've been doing on conspiracy theories and, uh, and talking about the moon landings and the SIFT framework. But the start of SIFT is S for stop, especially when you find something that's, you know, emotionally charged. It's going to, it's getting you upset. You, you start to have this emotional response and you just, you want to pause certainly before clicking the share button. So I just, can't, uh, you know, recommend highly enough this article. I got in a pretty extended interchange on Twitter over the weekend, and the user is kind of anonymous, and it's a new account. I have no idea who this person is, and maybe I can, it's not all threaded. But, you know, it was it was almost like a bot responding to say, because no, I said something about Section 230, and I was saying, look, we need some regulation because clearly self-regulation is not working, you know, for Facebook. And so there was a lot of back and forth about, well, this is just free speech and this this other person. And it's kind of weird to interact with someone like that, too, because you 
you wonder, do I, should I even do that? I don't, I don't know who this is. And then at one point you don't even know if they're a robot. Now they were giving what seemed to me to be really human responses. So I think it was a real person, but anyway, it led to an interesting discussion and disagreement, which isn't always, you know, uh, a clean and safe thing to do clean, meaning like just it's easier to just agree and retweet and, Oh yes, isn't this a great idea? So great article, highly recommended. And I will hope that, that these researchers will also be able to see this published in some peer reviewed journals, but it's interesting how, you know, they didn't wait for that. And frankly, I'm glad it can take years sometimes for articles to be, you know, vetted and things like that into peer reviewed journals. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but I am, very thankful for these researchers for getting this information out there. Yep. Really great. In fact, I just put that in my pocket so I could read it later on another device. There you go. What else you got for us under tech correction? Uh, well, um, there's two uh, articles I'm going to kind of string together for a second. Um, my love hate affair with TikTok continues. And uh, I, the good news is, is that I'm not going to it automatically every day. So I mean, a little more balanced in the way I'm using TikTok. And, um, you know, I joke with people at work that uh, I end up on weird corners of TikTok that I'm not quite sure I understand how I got there, but a lot of people claim that the um, a logarithm is scary accurate. And I would say that's, that's decent, uh, 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 decently true. And that's why I don't always talk about in the areas of TikTok that I've ended up in, but, um, uh, the, the less embarrassing ones, um, uh, you know, like I, I, uh, ended up on sewing TikTok, that kind of stuff, which to be honest, I wish I could sew. So maybe that's my, 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 my mom's genes in me, but, um, you know, uh, a cast iron, uh, pot TikTok and barbecue TikTok and um, papercraft TikTok and um, how to fix your drywall TikTok, even though I'd be terrified to do so, are places that I end up there. This but... is the long tail, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the long tail totally of this is. Yeah. Niche interests that you can find a community online. Yeah, totally. And um, so the first thing is is that uh, TikTok is trying to do what other social media. Uh, 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 companies claim they're trying to do as well, which is to try to uh, uh, prevent um, hoaxes and dangerous challenges. And we've talked about inside of, of uh, uh, this show's uh, notes a couple of times, there was a, a several uh, disturbing trends in TikTok in the fall with student challenges and one which even had threats of violence against schools. And so obviously very concerning that that would be topics that are spread around. But um, you know, sometimes it's, it's just, it's stupid stuff. And this was not a TikTok thing. I don't think the Tide Pod challenge a couple of years back, I don't think was TikTok related, but, um, you know, the bottom line is, is that stupid things can kind of catch fire. Um, but I'm also keep thinking about too, that when they say they're cracking down on things, I've seen a bizarre number of accounts of people that I enjoy and follow, um, that will get what they would call shadow banned, which is that it appears their videos aren't showing up in, um, in, in people's feeds as often. And, and sometimes I will run into that where I'm following a relatively popular TikToker, a couple hundred thousand followers. I'm part of their niche, right? So, uh, a lot of teachers, for example, are, are, are part of that, that have a certain point of view or are funny about, uh, 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 the way they present some of the challenges of being a teacher in schools. And then I haven't heard from them in a while and I'll think about them or I'll be like, I don't know where they're at. And I go and there's been, you know, 15 videos that have, have, uh, they've published and they just didn't end up on my feed. And then I look 
And um, the view numbers on those videos is way lower than it was before, which suggests there's something to that notion of being shadow banned. But also, I follow several teachers that have had their accounts just straight shut off, and I'm following them on other platforms, and they're begging people to contact TikTok to get them reinstated because they say that that uh, you know they're banned without the possibility of review for violating some community terms. And yeah, there are accounts that violate the community terms of TikTok, but not some of these accounts, right? These were pretty. Uh, not very spicy accounts, uh, 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 were, were more very bland, funny accounts. I've, I've followed a couple teachers that are, uh, 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 more or less, um, uh, would be only funny to other teachers and, and kind of explaining the human experience of teaching, but never have they crossed a line of what I would consider to be something that violated community standards. And so, um, that's just interesting to me that they're looking to, you know, try to put in some controls there. At the same time, I saw this Verge article um, a, a couple weeks back that TikTok is also looking at ways to try to allow creators to charge subscription fees. And what's so interesting about TikTok is it's very controversial. Um, TikTok is still not allowed uh, in a lot of folks' phones. For example, I believe it's still banned amongst people in the United States military because they think as a Chinese-owned company, um, that, uh, and I think part of it is owned by the government in China, that it presents a real security risk. And I've never seen that. Um, but I'm also not in a sensitive position, right? So it's not like I, I work in a, a critical or sensitive part or government. And so, um, I, it, 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 I, I see that and I see those concerns and I see a lot of creators that are legitimately trying to build a following on TikTok. Uh, to become expert voices in whatever they're doing. And I always like it when there's a way to compensate creators, uh, even in a micro way, so that they don't have to rely on what are sometimes awkward and weird sponsorships. Um, I've generally noticed that there seems to be a lot of prominent uh, creators on TikTok that are clearly doing uh, sponsorships, right, um, uh, that aren't marking them correctly because those are supposed to be uh, marked as ads or, or marked as sponsors, or they'll use some term that I'm a so-and-so partner, which I don't really think uh, is the spirit of FTC's regulations on disclosing um, uh, financial exchanges and disclosures. But it, it just, it, it's a very interesting platform and, uh, it can be easy to suck your attention in. I understand why kids, uh, watch it. Um, my wife says it would drive her nuts because you are kind of, you know, every, you know, 30 to, uh, uh to 90 seconds doing something else, right? So it, it is, it does bounce a little bit, but super interesting platform. Wow. Well, and it's probably again something that we ought to be talking a little bit more about in school. Um, I just, well, I don't think I'll end up doing it this year, but I think it's just so interesting and important to know where our kids are living. And I'm not just talking about their physical address, like where are they living on their screen? How many of our kids are living in TikTok? How many of the kids are living in Roblox? And we've got some divides between, you know, older adults and kids. So kudos to you for sometimes stumbling into the sewing and drywall, you know, areas of TikTok. But it it also is important to think about that it is Chinese owned and we know that artificial intelligence gets smarter the more data that is poured into it. So I think I've said this before on the show, but it really is 
pretty genius of whoever the inventors of TikTok are to have created a platform that is so engaging and is able. I mean, the company that owns TikTok, the primary owner, is not a social media company. They're an AI company and they've created a platform that is feeding, I think, more video data it maybe not not more than than YouTube, but it's different, right? The kinds of of creator content and things that are shared on TikTok with quick videos are are different than than YouTube. So, pretty fascinating stuff for sure. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, let's see. You want to hit the Microsoft article, or we've got a couple more miscellaneous. Sure. Let's do the quick Microsoft article. Um, Windows 11 is releasing its first uh, real update. Uh, uh, so they've been doing a lot of bug fixes, but this is a big update that's going to have a lot of uh, changes on it. Probably the two biggest headlines here are Android apps uh, will be coming to Windows 11, which was a promised feature, but didn't wasn't released um, uh, last year. Um, when Windows 11 was was uh, uh, released as a downloadable, installable operating system. Um, a reminder from earlier coverage that I believe this is still true, um, uh, uh, that I believe they're utilizing the Android App Store. Yeah, Amazon's App Store um, to do that. And um, uh, you can sideload actually the Google Play Store if you really want to, but right now it's limited to the Amazon App Store. Uh, so that's an interesting update. And they're also working on some uh, taskbar changes. Um, I'll admit of all the things um, uh, 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 visually on Windows 11 that I don't like, I don't like a centered taskbar. I don't I don't like that on Windows. Um, I don't like on Chrome OS for that matter. It's better. It's, it's okay on a Mac. But I don't like the taskbar. But something did happen this week. Uh, for the first time in in my history as a uh, computer user, I saw Windows 11 in, in the wild. So that's a sign that it's happening. And we're not going to update uh, for some time <laughs> in my org, uh, uh, except for one computer that we'll use to test things out for when students are using Windows 11. But we're not quite there yet. Have you seen an active install, Wes, of, of Windows 11 or play with it yourself at all? <laughs> I have not. So I'm, I live in my little, uh, you know, academic ivory tower now a bit. So I'm, I'm less on the cutting edge of, uh, of IT when it comes outside of our, our Chrome and, and Mac OS and sometimes iOS experiences. So I have not, but I'm, I'm also not really pining away to have that experience. So I'm vicariously living through your Windows 11. Um, I'll, I'll keep you up to date, sir. So. All right. That sounds, that sounds good. Um, we started just a few minutes late, so we, we actually still have about six and a half minutes left if we're going to do an hour show, which we typically do. Um, I just noticed <coughs> we did miss one uh, tech correction article. We missed a Google article. Um, I'll put in, I'll do the Google one real quick because I, I talked about, or I put that one in. So this is from Fortune, uh, February 11th, YouTube video streaming now using AI that mastered chess and Go. Um, I don't know if I've done this with my current group of students, but I usually will show students um, a series of videos to include one about Gary Kasparov being beaten by, um, was it uh, DeepMind? Was that IBM's or Deep Blue maybe? I see these don't roll off my tongue because I haven't been talking about them. But looking at, you know, the progression of AI, the defeat of the, you know, rain, one of the reigning or the reigning chess champion in the world, um, but then some other examples the the go um champion and then there's another game which name is going to elude me but it's an incredible real-time real strategy game and anyway we've got the computers you know doing better than, than human beings here so anyway that kind of technology that mastered chess and go is now 
being utilized for YouTube streaming and it's being used to improve video compression, which is pretty interesting. So, <clears throat> you know, if you can give an algorithm rules and then say optimize for this, that, that tends to be apparently a pretty good application for AI. So that's what they've done. And you might not think that a 4% reduction on the amount of data uh, required to compress video is a big deal. But when you think about how much video, you know, Google and YouTube are dealing with on a daily basis, much less a weekly, monthly, annual basis, you know, it's a ton. So I thought that was interesting. And of course, AI is another topic that we should be, you know, talking with students about and finding ways to, um, you know, discuss in the context of coding, but also in the context of ethics and things like that. But I thought that was an interesting Google related update. Yep. You want to absolutely. do that? The tech correction one or yeah so this is an interesting article in recode and it, it's it is a, a deeper conversation but you know one of the things that, that we've we've had some uh, uh conversation about in past tech correction conversations is when people are banned from platforms and obviously that's happened uh, uh, a couple of times in the last few years a prominent names banned from uh twitter uh and other platforms but the bottom line is that um, there isn't persuasive evidence that it's a universal solution for things. And so there's a really great Recode article um, from Sharon Gaff Gaffray um, that uh, basically says that it's, it's a kind of a double-edged sword. Like, yes, by banning extremists off of online networks, you may make it harder for those individuals to um, recruiting followers, but it comes at a cost, which is those that remain, um, on the platforms, uh, uh, become way more toxic and, um, and in a lot of cases pushes the organization underground. So it's, it's less obvious and less open. And so, um, you know, this is an article I, and I, I, it's been a week or so since I've read it. So I, I don't know this for certain, but, you know, with all articles to share with the class, read it all the way through first, uh, to make sure it's going to have themes and topics that are appropriate for the age group that you're teaching, but this would be a place to start, right? Like this is an article that does a really great job of presenting kind of both sides of the issue of why it, it would be a, a good thing to, to de-platform someone and why it becomes problematic. And then, you know, discuss this uh, to fruition with your students. But, well, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, to say, the solution isn't that simple because banning does do uh, something and it does have an impact, but may create other issues. What I would say, just kind of glancing at the article <clears throat> with the references to QAnon, yeah. um, be careful, uh, especially in this day and age. You know, we, we live in different situations in different contexts. I actually have a conference proposal accepted, and I think I'm going to get to go in early May to Atlas, uh, which is an independent school uh, technology conference. The title of my session is How to Teach About Conspiracy Theories and Not Be Fired. <clears throat> and spoiler alert. Let's talk about the moon landing. Let's 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 not talk about QAnon and talk about you know uh, anti-vaxxer and vaccination, you know disinformation and things like that. At some level, we need to. I'm teaching fifth and sixth grade right now, and I'm not gonna go there with with these kids. And honestly, even if I was teaching high school right now in, in the context that I'm in in, in uh, Central Oklahoma. I, I don't know if I would be breaching those issues, but they're so important. And this issue right here of of moderation, quote, censorship, quote, you know, community guidelines, all of that is so, so important. And I, you know, I have a, a college friend who 
wrote a newsletter that I need to revisit and read in some greater depth, um, who's written a, a recent book. And, and I am real interested in his ideas, but evidently he was not able to run an ad for his book on Twitter. And, you know, yes, private companies have the ability to moderate and, and the responsibility under Section 230 to be doing moderation. But at some point, when does that really curtail your ability to to speak freely and to have free speech rights. I mean, no, you don't have the right to just jump in any restaurant you want and shout whatever you want. Um, you can go to the street corner and do that. But these platforms are so important for the ways that people, you know, process information, access information, et cetera. Uh, it really, you know, can have a big impact. So I think all of that is really worth exploring in much greater depth and, um, yeah, that's why, you know, as we said before, media literacy is an important topic for us to to be diving into. And there are things that we need to be continuing to read about and, and talk about and, and really find forums to discuss. So, Jason, maybe we need to have the the EdTech situation forum at some point. Seriously, wouldn't that be maybe cool where you could like have a maybe a focused topic and then have some different panelists? But I just I find our week or, you know, our hour each week to be a really great time to process these articles and these topics. And I think that's part of how we learn. And it's also just part of how we, you know, hopefully are, are thriving amidst change is having chances to be able to, to do that kind of thing. And I think the issues here are very complex and they touch on a lot of different things. Um, so thank you for that article. I will add that to my pocket as well and fully consume that later. Well, do you have a geek of the week, sir, or should I go first? Uh, no, let me, uh, uh, I'd love to share mine. Um, this is an article I shared on Twitter last week, but I thought it was a really good one and I, I have no, uh, review of any of these yet, but I will be playing with them. But make use of had a great article uh, a couple of days ago, five free online video editors without watermarks or other hidden limitations. And, you know, one of the greatest criticisms up until about uh, two, three years ago was that the, the one of the biggest things that didn't seem to uh, be really available is some form of video editing uh, on a Chromebook. And there are uh, dozens of commercial options now, but I thought these were all interesting as free editors that didn't seem to be bombed with limitations like watermarks um, on the videos. So that's a make uh, make use of article. And I'll play with these. And if any of them seem to stand out as a great one, I will report back. Awesome. Uh, I'll do two tonight. The first one is really fascinating, and I've only started to dive into it a little bit. It's called Search Smarter by Dorking, and it is a project called Exposing the Invisible. And this is a kit that you can download. Um, I think it's targeted mainly for journalists, although, well, when you click on who the kit is for, it says the kit's made for everyone. It doesn't matter what skills you have or don't have, uh, but it's about investigation. Uh, and it describes the kit as a starting point for those who believe in the power of information as evidence, but who recognize that working with information does not necessarily lead to immediate results or desired changes. Uh, our small team at Exposing the Invisible has been actively experimenting with ways to promote investigation as one of the most important forms of engagement. So back to what we were talking about earlier about Google search. It is really, really important to recognize how the algorithm is shaping results but also how we can have some agency and influence over the algorithms we're using to search information. And I just, I think particularly, uh, which this is just part of this exposing the invisible kit, the search smarter by dorking uh, is just amazing in terms of 
all these different, you know, ways of, of understanding, you know, how, how do web links work? You know, how, how do Tor circuits work? Um, you know, what is dorking? It involves a lot of times using some, you know, special syntax, which would be the kind of things we'd get at a Google, you know, teacher academy or a Google conference or something like that. But I had never heard of that before. And I'm not exactly sure even where I got it to give the attribution. Amazing. And then the last thing is a quick one. This is called Tagadoc. Um, I wrote a post on my blog this last week about tags and meta tag or and hashtags and saying that's a real basic kind of literacy thing that we, we all need to know about is the power of tagging. And so <clears throat> this is a little extension that you can install for Chrome and it allows you to add tags to just about any of your Google documents and then use those tags to be able to filter and search. And I think that looks pretty powerful. I haven't created a lesson around mm -hmm. that, but that might be a media literacy lesson down the road to do with students, introducing them to the concept of tagging and then seeing how that can be used in their own Googleverse of files that they're creating in Google Drive. That's super interesting. I will play with that at work. Well, Wes, where can people find you on the internet? I am westfryer.com and I'm also wfryer on Twitter. How about you? I am a tech savvy teacher. Uh, I'm sorry, tech savvy teach on Twitter. And if you're interested in learning more about me, go to my website, nifer, N-E-I-F-F-E-R.com. But this year isn't me or it's Wes. It's, it's two of us at the Tech Situation Room. We are a Wednesday night podcast. We broadcast at 8 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Central Time, sometime in the middle of the night, UTC. We would love it if you could join us live. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on YouTube and find out when we are about to go live. We love having people in our chat room. Uh, if you can't make it live, though, you can download our podcast wherever finer podcasts are aggregated, or you can go to YouTube, watch it live, or, or watch it archived there. You can watch archive on Facebook, or uh, download uh, an MP3 at our website, edtechsr.com. Um, until next time, uh, we hope you stay safe, stay savvy, and have a great week. Thanks from the EdTech Situation Room. Good night. <laughs>